say that I am. So I've gotten the report about what other people are saying about me. I, I hear you on that. But leaving the crowd out of it, what do you say about me? Who do you say that I am? See, Jesus was looking for the gaps in their understanding. And listen, sometimes the gaps is not, not just a lack of, well, it's not just a lack of knowledge. Sometimes it's misunderstandings. Sometimes the things that we think we know about Jesus are just not really true. Like one of the common misunderstandings about Jesus is that because he's God through his human beings, but because he, he, he doesn't have to deal with the same challenges, we tend to think sometimes that Jesus doesn't get it, but nothing could be further from the truth. Now, um, I want to tell you that in your message notes, I made some mistakes this week. The mistakes are mine. They, they print what I send them. And, and I left a couple of important verses out. One of those verses is Hebrew 4, uh, Hebrews 4.15. So it's not in your notes, but it is on the screens behind me. Now, the high priest is Jesus. So l- l- let me just tell you this. Jesus is the high priest. You don't need another priest. A, a priest is a go-between. A priest goes between a human being and God. It's a go-between. Jesus is that go-between. So I'm a preacher, I'm a pastor, but I'm not a priest. You, you don't need a priest. You have a high priest. You don't need a Baptist priest. You don't need a Catholic priest, not even the one in Rome. You understands our weaknesses. Think about that. He knows where we have flaws. He knows where we fall short. For he faced all of the same testings as we do, yet he did not sin. See, because Jesus is fully God and fully human, fully a man, he understands everything that you go through. He understands everything that you deal with. He he faced all of the same challenges that you and I face. He understands my temptation. Now, before we go any further, I want to give you a, a, a theological definition of temptation. So you have some notes on this. And by the way, I want you to take notes today like your life depends on it. That's, that's not a threat. I'm not threatening yet. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't want to see it's, it's a warning. You, you need to take some notes here. Got to clarify some things, right? Temptation is the desire or the inclination to step outside of God's side. Of God's will. Temptation is when we feel the desire to disobey God. It's the pull we feel as human beings to sin. And it is a powerful pull, isn't it? I mean, the way, temp- the way sin is presented through temptation, it's, it's always something that's attractive. You know, one, one of the, I've been saying this for years because I just, I believe it's true. One of the greatest services, not disservices, one of the greatest services we that's ever been done, or a character from a horror movie, for that matter. We put him in a red jumpsuit, give him some Angus Young horns. We've got some old rockheads here, you recognize that. And, uh, and give him a pitchfork. And so, really, the image that most of us have of 
True evil and the devil is just a caricature of what evil really is. Satan rarely comes at us as something or someone that's scary. Like sexual sin will never come to you looking like a person with it's always the, the better side. It's, it's always what might attract us to, to pull us in. See, temptation makes a lot of great promises, but it ultimately delivers disappointment. And there are literally thousands of temptations. Um, I didn't write down thousands of them this week in my office, but I, I wrote down dozens and dozens, and I just realized as I'm making a list of temptations, because that's what I was going to do. I was going to come in and, you know, we could compare lists on temptations. While there are so many temptations or things that tempt us away from God's will, the Bible says that all of the temptations we face can fit into one of three categories. And we see this in the Bible. Um, 1 John 2.16, and by the way, this is the other verse that didn't make it into your notes, but it should have. So write it down in the margin, and you can look it up later. But it's 1 John 2.16. This is an important verse. Listen to what he says. And by the way, this is the, the John who wrote the Revelation, the last book of the Bible, and also the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. In that verse, he, he gives us the three categories that all temptation falls into. The first one is the lust of the flesh. The lust of the flesh is a temptation of, if it feels good, do it. Any of you grew up in the 60s? 70s? Any of you survived the 80s? To satisfy your desires, whatever they may be. The lust of the eyes is the temptation to have more stuff. You see something and you want it, so you're going to get it, and you don't matter, or it doesn't matter what it costs. That's the lust of the eyes. And then there's the pride of life. This is the temptation to be something. This is the temptation uh, that causes us to want to have status and power and position, and, and listen, control. The temptation to control things around you, to control your circumstances, to control. So these temptations, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, these, these three basic categories, this is where our temptations fit into, and all of us have to deal with these. None of us are immune to these. We're not immune to them. Jesus wasn't immune to them. In fact, Jesus faced all of these challenges. He dealt with all of these situations, but he did not sin, which is why we can look at Jesus and his life to learn how that we can face our temptations and defeat them as well. In Luke chapter 4, verse in one episode. Now, now, just to give you a little bit of, a, of context for this story, Jesus has just come off of what I would say is a spiritual high. He's just been baptized, and it, you know, the skies opened up. 
The voice from heaven spoke and said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. I mean, it was just this miraculous kind of moment. And so you, you kind of get the idea that Jesus walks away and everybody's high-fiving and all that. But Jesus goes immediately out into the desert wilderness to fast by the devil. Let's just uh, get into these verses and unpack this. Everybody still with me? All right, here we go. Luke 4, starting in verse 1. Then Jesus left the Jordan, which is the Jordan River, full of the Holy Spirit. Because again, you know, this is a Holy Spirit-filled moment. And he was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. This is part of the preparation for his ministry, the beginning of his public ministry, for 40 days to be tempted by the devil. So who tempted Jesus? It's not a trick question. Today from this message with that piece of information. God never tempts us. So if, if you're dealing with temptation or sin right now in your life, don't, don't put that on God. God did not tempt you. God doesn't tempt us. The devil is the tempter. He, Jesus, ate nothing during those days. And when, uh, when they were over, he was hungry. The devil said to him, I just pause right there. Notice when the devil came to tempt Jesus. It wasn't at the beginning. He's weak, isn't he? Listen, when we are physically tired, that's when we are most spiritually tired vulnerable and the devil knows it and so that's usually when he attacks us listen i rarely i rarely make important decisions on mondays or tuesdays usually it's wednesday or thursday it could be thursday or friday if it's a really big decision because after church is over on Sunday afternoon, like when I walk away from here today at one o'clock, you know, all right, you know, it, everything, it just feels good. I like, I feel like I could preach once or twice again, but as soon as I get home, it just all downloads. And then I realize I'm back on the clock for another sermon next week. And depending on what we had for lunch, I might be ill. I'm just, I'm tired. And on, on Monday, the pressure's back on. So, I, you know, now I'm a little bit tired and pressure's on for the rest of the week because I have a Bible study on Wednesday night like this last week. I had a couple of Tuesdays. I'm spiritually weak. So I have to be aware of that. I also have to think a little, a little harder about the way I talk to the people around me because I don't feel good. And when I don't feel good, I just want to be left alone. <laughs> but, you know, we live in a big boy world, don't we? If you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. This temptation is the lust of the flesh. Um, to feel good. I mean, Jesus felt all around that they're hungry too, and Jesus knew it. I mean, in the first century world, most people who, who you would pass in public, they're wondering where their next meal is going to come from. This is the temptation to feel good. But Jesus answered him in verse 4, Man must not live by bread alone, 
So he took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time, just like that. The devil said to him, I will give you their splendor and all this authority because it has been given over to me and I can give it to anyone I want, which is a lie. Temptations are always a lie. Maybe a little if then, or if you then will worship me, all of this will be yours. I mean, you can almost hear like this wicked little laugh come behind it. This is the temptation of the lust of the eyes to have more. And Jesus answered him, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So the devil took Jesus to Jerusalem, had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, and this is where he can look out over everything. If you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here for it is written. Interesting devil's quoting scripture here. But he's taking it out of context. Beware of taking scriptures out of context. He will give you his angels orders concerning you to protect you. And they will support you with their hands. In other words, they will catch you so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. This is the temptation of the pride of life. The devil is tempting Jesus to show off. See, the the devil knows why Jesus is there. Jesus is there to live a life, to live a perfect life, and to one day, Jesus is identified as the Son of God, not when he's doing the miracles, not not when he's feeding the multitudes. Jesus is identified as the Son of God when he's dying on the cross, and then when he's raised from the tomb. So the devil is tempting Jesus away from what God's called him to, And to be a show-off, to be the greatest show on earth, to, to, to be a big shot, to get all of the attention for himself. But Jesus answered back because he's too smart for this. It is said, do not test the Lord your God. Verse 13, after the devil had finished every temptation, that means that he's coming back. Jesus will see him again because the devil always comes back. Amen? I want to raise the stakes on this because I want you to see how important this is. If Jesus would have given in to any one of these temptations, it would have disqualified him. It would have, well, it would have disqualified him from doing what God's will for his life was. See, see this. It was, it was the temptation to do something that on the outside it looked awesome, but it was a lesser thing. If Jesus would have given in to these temptations, we wouldn't even know him. We wouldn't know about him. We would still be lost and dead in our sins. See, the temptation is always designed to lead us to sin. Sin that will destroy us. Sin that will destroy our our own lives and to make us slaves to MasterCard and Visa. I, I read recently that eight, it used to be seven, now it's eight out of every $10 
that is transacted in the United States is handled or touched at some point by MasterCard and Visa. So for the next few minutes, I want to show you what I think are God's three antidotes to the three big ten. Take notes like your life depends on it. Take notes like your wife depends on it. Like your kids depend on it. Like your career depends on it. Your ministry. Here's antidote number one. To overcome the lust of the flesh, I develop godly boundaries. To overcome the lust of the flesh, I develop godly boundaries. Again, the lust of the flesh is the temptation to feel good in that moment. To satisfy your desires and and while there's all kinds of temptations that we could talk about here, I want us to zero in on sexual temptation. But um, it's important. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 18 through 20, run from sin. There's an exclamation point there. This is Paul, and he is talking to the church at Corinth. And they're just immersed in all kinds of sexual sin in Corinth. Paul knows what he's talking about. Run from sexual sin. Anybody want to just say amen there? Run away from it. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. He goes on to say, for sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with the price, so you must honor God with your body. What's the price? Jesus. See, when you become a follower of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit moves into your life and your body becomes God's temple. So God cares about your body. And listen, when it comes to sexual temptation, when we give in to sexual temptation, There are consequences for that. There there are at least physical and spiritual consequences for it. Hey, listen. People have been having sex since the beginning of time, right? And and the sexual so-called revolution didn't start in the 60s. I mean, we look back at the 50s and sock hops and all that, and we just think that's so... Haven't y'all watched Happy Days? Don't y'all know the Fonz? <laughs> Come on. But now we live in a world that says, hey, listen, n- not only are, are people going to have sex before they get married, but, but you should. The truth into such a lie that it says that sex before marriage actually makes the relationship stronger, but it almost always leads to more confusion and hurt and sex before marriage. It robs you of something special that God created to be enjoyed. But with boundaries, with rules. Everything has rules, right? And your car has some rules on it. I mean, your speedometer might go to 130. And there are parts of 485 where you can get away with it. No. 
just this week, someone was talking to me about sex before marriage. And they said, you know, I don't understand why this is wrong. I mean, God created it. Why would he create something that feels so good and something that's supposed to be good and then not want us to enjoy it? Well, the, the truth is God did create sex, and it has some purposes and not just for procreation. But he says in his word that sex should be between one man and one woman in the context of marriage from being good, godly sex. Period. Boundaries. You have to have them. Not only when it comes to sexual temptation. I mean, you need boundaries, you know, for all things that tempt us. But I'm telling you, nothing destroys a person, a family, a life like sexual sin. I did something that I had not planned to talk about, but I'm going to work it in here. One of the pastors that I admire the most, I mean, one of the biggest pastors in the world, recently retired from his church, but his retirement was supposed to kick in later this year. But he moved it up to last week, and I think it was last Wednesday, where they had a congregational meeting, and he went ahead two or three years. He's been embroiled in a sexual misconduct scandal. Now, the church is huge, and because this was so serious, they hired an investigator who did a lot of work, and, you know, that's gotten a lot of criticism as well, and ultimately, the church elders found him not guilty of of any sexual misconduct. So they they cleared him of it. But he was retiring early because just the emotional hit that it's taken for him and his wife, he he just felt like he needed to step. And and he, he admitted the other night that he put himself in some situations with members of the opposite sex, uh, a couple of them on staff, and another one or two who were in other areas of of the church. He he said, I should have never put myself in those spots. And he's right, he shouldn't have, and he knew better. And, And I know him, and I know him well enough to know that he had boundaries, that there were rules for how men and women interact. But at some point, he stepped outside of those boundaries. Career will always be shaded dark because of a few moments where something may have happened or may not have happened. Um, I think it was in the, I'll get the, I'll get the error wrong, but I, I think it was the 50s 
when the Villagram Evangelistic Association, there was just a few of them at the time, they adopted what they called the Modesto Manifesto, Modesto, California. And part of that Modesto Manifesto is that members of their team, and specifically, they, I mean, it is time alone with a person of the opposite sex. And, and so listen, Billy Graham died a few months ago. And there may be some people who can poke holes in his theology or they didn't like the way he preached or they didn't like the song Just As I Am. But no one can accuse Billy Graham of sexual misconduct. That's because for nearly all of his adult life, he has lived with boundaries around other well, around himself and, and how he'll interact with people. And I, I'll, t- I'll tell you right now that 20 years ago, I live by him and our staff team lives by him. I want to explain them to you so that you don't have to ask them about it. We do not spend time with someone, a member of the opposite sex, alone. Well, what about we don't? Well, what about when you, we don't. But what if I have, we don't. I'll, I'll, I counsel with, you know, with women in my office, but my office has, you know, a, a glass, a, a piece of glass in it. And there's always somebody else and a member of the opposite sex. We have nothing to talk about in a room where, Somebody else shouldn't be near us. No good can come out of that. I, I'm, I'm like Billy Graham. It happens to me occasionally where I'm on an elevator and, uh, you know, let's say I'm on the 10th floor and we stop at the 5th floor. I'm on there by myself and the lady steps on the elevator. I just step off like that was my floor. I let her take the elevator and I wait on the next one. Well, Jimmy, that's just stupid. Well, it might be, but listen. I never intend to have to stand on this platform and explain to you about an affair that I had. And I didn't mean age. I never planned to have to sit in the living room and explain this to my wife or to my kids or to my parents. I plan to never, ever put you in a situation where you have to say to your kids, I'm sorry, we can't go to Rocky River Church anymore because we don't agree with a relationship that the pastors had. I'm not going to be there. Jimmy, this is the 21st century. Exactly. Exactly. That's exactly right. It's the 21st century. And we have two generations who who have a wake of broken lives and relationships behind them that just some uh, simple, common sense boundaries would have taken care of. It's anybody. I don't trust anybody under the right or wrong circumstances. You've got to have boundaries. What about doing business? I tell you what. you, You tell your boss, listen, I have this boundary and... I can't meet with her alone or I can't meet with him alone. And if, 
And if they say to you, well, that's just a job, and if you can't do it, you're fired, I'll be shocked. You got to do us the job. That's when you should start looking for a new job. But I've worked hard for this career. You better think it through. You better think about what that apology looks like to your wife and your kids or your husband and your kids. You better think about what that looks like when you have to explain it to your parents. Boundaries. All right, everybody take a deep breath. You okay? You all right? You ready to move on? It don't get a whole lot more comfortable. <laughs> here's here's uh, God's antidote for the second big temptation. To overcome the lust of the eyes, lust of the eyes, the desire to have more. And all of us deal with this, don't we? How, how many of you, just by a show of hands, have heard of John D. Rockefeller? Oh, yeah, that's, that's most of us. We know John D. Rockefeller. He, he, he's America's first billionaire. He was asked once, how much money is enough? And his answer was, just a little bit more. And isn't that the way we all think? We all think just a little bit more will be enough, but it isn't. And listen, if you don't get control of it, the lust of the eyes will keep you broke, in debt, unsatisfied, and unfulfilled. Because more doesn't make you happy. It just keeps you running in circles in the pursuit of more. The only way to defeat the lust of the eyes is generosity. See, be generous. God is a giver. I mean, the clearest expression of this is in John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. God is a giver. We are created in the image of God. Therefore, God created us to be generous. That's why uh, generous people are happier, healthier people. That's why people who give usually have less debt. It's because giving sets us free from the prison of wanting more. So let me ask you a couple of questions. Are you living generous? Are you giving generously to God's work in our church? Work that's leading to change lives, lives in our community, to change lives all around the world? Are you giving? Or do you just ignore their needs? I want to challenge you to do two things. The first thing is, I want to challenge you to give to the church. And I'm not going to put a percentage in there. I, I probably should because we're talking about tithing. But I, if you're not giving anything, I just want you to start giving. J- just start somewhere. S- start giving. Start giving today. The second thing I want to challenge you to do, and this is a little bit difficult because a lot of people don't carry cash anymore. But I, I want you to consciously, if not every week, then a couple of weeks out of the month, keep a $5 bill in your pocketbook or in your phone or in your billfold, wh- where, wherever you keep your cash, and look for a way to bless a small thing. I'm going to tell you something. It, this recently happened to me. I, I've been paying for people's food through drive. Now, don't start following my truck around in the mornings, okay? <laughs> I, I've been paying for people's food for years, going through the drive-thru or going through a, a toll booth somewhere uh, in New Jersey or Florida. You know, they have those things everywhere. But last week, someone for the first time ever bought my food 
at a drive-thru. It wasn't much. It was a sausage biscuit and a Diet Mountain Dew. But man, it made me feel so good inside. Break the curse or this tempt. Give to the Lord and be generous to others. Look at this next verse in your notes. We're going to have to hurry a little bit. This is Luke 6, 38. It says, give and it will be given to you. How will it be given to me? A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the, tr- uh, for with the measure you, you, I'm sorry, for with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. See, the more you bless others by giving, the more God blesses you. And here's, here's what I know. With very few exceptions, the people in this room, many of us are controlled by the size of our bank account. We're being controlled by what we have or what we don't have, but we won't. And you will not antidote for our third big temptation. To overcome the pride of life, I center my life on God's word. To overcome the pride of life, I center my life on God's word. The pride of life, listen guys, the pride of life is the most dangerous temptation of all. Why is that? Because the pride of life is the source of of all of our temptations. It's the temptation to be your own boss. To, to make your own rules, to do things your, your own way, to be a rebel, even if there's not a good cause to be one. U- ultimately, the pride of life says, I am my own God. It's when life becomes all about what I want. This is when life becomes all about what I, uh, what I need. It doesn't matter what you need. In our passage today, Jesus shows us how to overcome the pride of life and really all of our temptations. Each time Jesus faced a temptation, he quoted scripture. In Luke 4, 4, 4, 8, and 4, 12, Jesus replied, the scriptures say, remember? The scriptures say, the scriptures say, he fought off temptation with the Bible. Let me tell you why Jesus quoted the scripture. Because the devil comes at us with lies. Jesus quoted scripture because God's word, listen, changing, it stands forever. And hey, if Jesus needed it, you know what's coming, right? What makes you think you don't need it? I mean, of course we need it. The question is, how do we we utilize it? You have to start memorizing it. You have to to bring God's word into your life, into your heart, into your mind. And the reason this is important is because whenever you're tempted to drink too much or whenever you're tempted to, to flirt with someone who's not your husband or not your wife, you're probably not gonna have your Bible with you. You'll know what to say whenever you're tempted. Each week in your notes, I I try to give you a a memory verse. And the memory verse for this week is Psalm 119.11. I want you to read it with me. 
You ready? It's coming up on the screens behind me. It's also in your notes. Here we go. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I, I want to give you another verse. And uh, Donnie and Adam, you guys can make your way up. It's Psalm 5112. You have to write that in the margin of your notes. Psalm 5112. This is not one I've, I've forgotten, left off. This is one that came Bible, King David. King David was a notorious sinner. I mean, he's famous and infamous for his sins. But David is also known as a man after God's own heart. Do you know why? It's because whenever the Lord confronted David with his sin, he repented. He was sorry for his sins. And he's very public with it. Psalm 51 is a song he wrote about his sin with Bathsheba that ended up with Bathsheba becoming his wife. They lost the infant son they had. And David had her husband Uriah killed. And after God confronted David through the prophet Nathan, him crying out to the Lord in repentance, create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew a right spirit inside of me. That's one you should memorize. But I think that's one, a verse that will probably help some folks here right now this morning. Consider this, your being confronted with sin. We're all sinners. Now I want to give you the opportunity to ask God to create in you a new. I'll bet you that there are some folks here right now who are in danger of being overwhelmed with some temptation. I want us to pray about that. And then I'll, I'll bet you we have some Davids in the room, some King Davids. You've fallen into sin, and now you're just filled with the grief of it. I want to give you the opportunity to leave that grief here. And so I've asked Pastor Donnie if he would come up and say a prayer for us to pray for boundaries around the temptations that threaten us. And you, you know what your temptations are. Satan's got a record of them too. And you know, I've noticed, Donnie, that Satan is not very creative. He, he usually goes, I'm going to ask Donnie to pray over those things and also pray that we can let go of the guilt and shame that comes with giving in to temptation. So let's stand together and uh, Donnie, you pray for us. Let's pray. God, you're a gracious God. You know our life. You know what's going on. You know the, the temptations of, uh, of life. From the things that I have struggled with in my life and in my past and the things that everyone else is struggling with. You give us grace and you give us hope and you give us freedom. When, when those moments arise with, with uh, that we won't give in to those things. You tell us that you're right there with us, that your strength and your grace is sufficient for us in our weakness.
So I pray that, that we'll remember that, that grace and that strength that you give us. That no matter what we've done or what we've said or, or what we think, you give us that grace and that hope. You don't give us guilt, you don't give us condemnation, but you give us freedom of our mind. And so I pray today that our mind will be renewed in you. That we can have hope and that we can live in victory of the temptation and the sin in our life because of the grace that you give us. If you're a guest with us today, I just want to remind you about using your connection card to let us know about your visit. You can put that connection card in the offering basket as you leave or take that to the information table. We have a free gift for you. Rocky River Church, God bless you. We love you, and we'll see you next Sunday.